Earlier in the year, we started the book of Acts, and we started a series called Life in the Spirit, and we wanted to go through the book of Acts uh, in a year, and, and now we, we took a break from that. We did our question series. We, we did a, a series on the Son of God in Hebrews, and, and now we're getting back into the book of Acts. We're actually coming back to the second half of the book of Acts. And uh, the reason the series is called Life in the Spirit is because the main character in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. It, it, we see his, his power on display. We see him moving the church. We see him bringing people together. We see the Holy Spirit giving people the words to say. And so it's just a, a, a really, um, man, you can't really read the book of Acts and not get charged up at, at thinking about what God can do. Like what God can do if, if we take a step of faith. What his spirit can do when we have faith in our lives. And I think that 2021 is an especially important year to go through the book of Acts just to remind ourselves who we are as a church. What is the church? There's a lot in our lives right now and in our world that's changing, right? There's a lot that's changing. There's a lot that's changing in society and culture and values. And I think today people are more stressed out about it and more burned out than ever. And so in the middle of all this sea of cultural change and, 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 and uh, all the, the, the restrictions and all of, of the, the um, health concerns that we've had over the past 18 months, it's important for us to come back and remember who we are. And I hope that more than anything, as we come back into this series in the book of Acts, that we would remember, no, this is who God called the church to be. We're not supposed to be the same as everybody else. We're supposed to be different because we have the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're going to do as we look at the book of Acts. Because the Holy Spirit is powerful. And if you missed the first half of our series, we saw the Holy Spirit do amazing things, speaking through people, physically healing people. Um, and, and bringing simple people together to do something amazing. So um, today we're going to see, we're going to be in Acts 11, which is where we left off, and we're going to see how God worked through a church um, more than any other church in the first century. The church is 300 miles north from Jerusalem in the great city of Antioch. And as I studied the church in Antioch this week, there's a lot of descriptors that you could use to describe them. It was an impactful church. It was a influential church. It was a, it was a powerful church. It was alive. But I think the one descriptor, descriptor that I landed on as I read this church is that more than anything, the church in Antioch was open-handed. They were an open-handed church. They had an open-handed and open-hearted posture for whatever the Spirit wanted to do in the middle of it. And so I thought about this idea, what does it mean to be an open-handed church and an open-handed person? Am I open-handed? Am I open-hearted? And I had to reflect on myself and have to ask, have, have, I, have I found it hard to be uh, a giving person in my life? And I know I have at times. Like, I love the idea of being open-handed, but sometimes I struggle when the rubber meets the road, right? When it actually comes to let go of something or give something away, the struggle is there. And I think more than anything, why this is a struggle is because we all live with this thing in our lives called scarcity. 
We all live with this thing in our lives called scarcity where we don't have enough. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough emotional energy. And we, we instead of being an open-handed person, we become a protective, close-fisted person. Instead of living in the fullness of God, my focus becomes on protecting myself and what I have. And I know for me, God's been working on this for the last few years where God's helped me become more open-handed, become more open-hearted, become less concerned about what I need to protect, what I need to hold on to. And what I've realized is that, man, when I feel empty, God is not empty. Like, God's reservoirs are not empty. God has enough, even when I don't. And, um, in fact, as I was praying earlier this year, I felt like the one phrase God gave me for this year is just, I will provide. Like, that's all I need to lean on. It's just the fact that God will provide. Like, if we just trust him, if we just follow him, he will provide. He will make up for our lack. But have you ever struggled to believe that? That God actually will provide? That God will provide? Have you ever found it hard to live with that free, open-handedness because you struggle to, f to feel like God will actually come through? Or God actually has your back? And I know there's a lot of people in here who have gifts of generosity, gifts of hospitality, gifts of service. And so, which I don't have all those gifts. My gifts are different, you know? So it might come, it, it might come easier to you if you, have, if, if you have a gift of service, if you are a giver. And we wouldn't be here today if we didn't have a church full of people who had a gift of generosity or who, had, um, who, who gave. But for the rest of us, if you're like me, um, this is something that Jesus calls us to that we have to learn. We have to learn. And there's a verse in Luke 17 I want to share with you this morning. It says this. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I find this to be one of the most challenging teachings of Jesus. It's like counterintuitive. It's like if I am just struggling to hang on to my life and everything I love, I'm going to lose my life. But if I'm able to open my hand and, and, and give everything to God, then I will save my life. I will keep my life. That's this teaching here in Luke. And, and it really is saying that we'll only find our life when we live open-handed, when we can really let it go. And instead of holding on to everything we have, we focus on Christ. And if you find yourself caught in that struggle of preserving everything, your finances, your house, uh, the people in your life, and you're trying to hold on to it all, I hope that looking at the church in Acts 11 encourages you. And I hope that it helps you be able to let go today. So we're going to go ahead and read Acts 11, uh, verses 19 through 30 this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, or the, the word will be up on the screen. And it says this, it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, 
and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them was named Agabus. One of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So I, I love this scripture because it just, it's not flashy. Like it just covers a, a, a big period of time in a few sentences, but in it, it describes this huge change, this huge event in the life of the church. Um, this is the moment, really, that through this church, God, the, the gospel of Jesus spreads all throughout the world because of what this church in Antioch did. It was the most influential church of the first century, and it's a church that, that as you see here, it had the hand of God on it. Like, we can't, <laughs> we can't impose the hand of God or God's will on something, but when God's will is on something, it's powerful, right? It's evident. When God is, when God is blessing something or moving in a certain place, it's evident, and that's what was going on in Antioch. And there's so much here that, that's happening. You see that God is raising up prophets. This guy named Agabus, who we don't hear about again, he's, he's raised up, he foretells a famine that's coming, and, he, he, and, and their reaction to this famine is not to protect themselves, but send relief uh, to Jerusalem, uh, where it was going to hit the hardest. Um, you also see that it's where in Antioch where the Apostle Paul gets rolling. Like, where he actually really starts his ministry. Before this, he's sitting at home in Tarsus, like, probably wondering, God, what the, what the heck did you do to me? And then Barnabas goes and drags him away from home and plops him here in Antioch. And that's, that's Paul's start, too. And there's all sorts of other uh, spirit-driven things converging on this one place in this one particular time for, uh, for God's purpose. And it's it's a catalytic in moving the gospel into other parts of the world. All that said, I want us to see where it starts. It starts with persecution and opposition. It's, it wasn't planned out. It wasn't in somebody's garage. Like, it started with persecution and opposition. It started with refugees fleeing, running. This passage takes us back to the death of Stephen um, in Acts 7, they stone Stephen. Uh, he's a, um, one of the leaders in the early church. And after that moment in Jerusalem, there's a great persecution that happens, uh, happens there. And Paul, who is also referred to as Saul, is part of that persecution. Like, he's one of the guys. He's the main ringleader going around and putting Christians in jail. Um, Christians are being attacked. They're being killed. And because of this, many Christians flee Jerusalem um, and head to other cities. But they don't just flee and hide out. Like, they flee, and they stay 
telling people about Jesus. Like, they're still telling people about Jesus even as they're fleeing. And so to me, it strikes me that their attitude isn't so much fear for their lives, but it's moving on to new opportunities to share Jesus. It reminds me of what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, 14. His disciples were going out to uh, go tell people the good news um, door to door, and, and he told them this as they were going. He says, And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Symbolic of, I'm not coming back. <laughs> right? I shared, and I'm not coming back. And you see this sort of attitude again and again in the books, book of Acts. Like if people aren't listening or not open in one place, God sends people to another place or another person who is open. And I think for us, sometimes we can get really frustrated, and me included, when the people we love don't respond to God the way we want them to, right? And we can, we can push, and we can push, and we can push, but God has to be at work in that person at the same time, right? And so the wisdom here is that, man, if, if God isn't at work in one area, maybe the Spirit wants to focus our eyes on where He is at work where people who he is opening up to the gospel. There's places in, in, uh, in Acts where um, the Holy Spirit forbids Saul from even sharing the good news in a particular city. Like, they're not ready. Don't go here, go here. So there's sort of this, this direction to places where God is already at work. God is already at work in people's hearts. And in Acts 11, the place where the Spirit of God is at work is in this city called Antioch. So what is Antioch? Well, Antioch is the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It's huge. Um, it's close to uh, the Mediterranean Sea, about 18 miles in. It's a big seaport. Um, it's the capital of Asia, which at that time they just called Asia. That was like Turkey and, and Syria. But it's the capital of this large Roman province. It's a massive seaport. Um, it's, a, it's a very religious place, um, but very diverse. Uh, people worshipped all sorts of different gods there. there it, at any one time, there could be all sorts of different pagan rituals going on in this city. And like in Corinth, the combination of being a seaport and being uh, pagan led to some pretty dark things. Right, like temple prostitution, a lot of other stuff. So it was a, had kind of a dark side to this city. Um, at the same time, it was there was a lot of activity in Antioch. There were theaters, forums, circuses, uh, public buildings all over the place. Like it was just a really hopping international hub, and uh, it was a city of great influence. And so as as persecution pushes the church out of Jerusalem, they go all over the place just sharing with whoever they can about, uh, uh, with whoever they can uh, about Jesus, except they only feel comfortable sharing to Jews, people who have a similar background as them. And so that's the only people they really shared with as they went. But then it says this in verse 20, it says, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And so here we have the first sort of 
big push to reach non-Jews, to reach a Gentile people. And there's a lot that I love about this passage, but the first thing I love about this passage is who is it's describing, because it's not the apostles um, that Jesus walked with. It's not anybody significant. What does it say? There were some of them. Some random guys. From where? Cyprus and Cyrene. Insignificant places. Just insignificant places. Um, and they started preaching, and they built the greatest church of the first century. It wasn't the guys who Jesus walked with for three years. It was some random guys in, from, like, Cyprus is a, a, is a random island, and, and you know, it just— and they're the ones who built the, the biggest, baddest church of the first century. Just random guys. They're not important enough even to include their names, right, in, in Scripture. Um, because why? No one cared. No one cared about the credit. No one cared about the credit. They cared about getting Jesus' name up there, not their own. And so when I look at these guys, we don't even know their names of, they're both open-handed and open-hearted. They're open-hearted because they're willing to share the gospel with people who aren't like them. They're willing to take a risk. And they're open-handed because they didn't care who got the credit. They didn't care about their own glory or anything like that. No, all the glory went to God. It was just something that God was doing. In contrast, you know, we live in a time where there's this, there's this weird kind of phenomenon of, like, celebrity Christian leaders, right? And, and over the past few years, um, there's been stuff revealed about different leaders. We've seen different celebrity Christian leaders fall and be exposed in different ways. Um, I read a book this summer. This is a great summer reading book, but it was called When Narcissism Comes to Church. And it's a good read, really. Uh, but I read this book, and I was just like, wow. You know, just how, how that, you know, in our narcissistic culture, that can invade every organization, leadership, even the church, right? And, and we can get in our own way. And we've seen over the past few years many, like, big-name preachers fall, right? Big-name leaders fall. And contrast that with what you see here in the New Testament, right? Like, I think what the New Testament shows us is it's good to be influential and have influence and use what God's given you to reach out, but it also shows us that Christians are not meant to be celebrities. Like, that's not something we're supposed to pursue uh, because Christ showed us another way. Christ didn't live with his own glory in mind, um, he lived for his father's glory. Literally in Philippians 2, it says he emptied himself. He became nothing. That's the guy we're following. You can't follow that guy and try to be something, right? Like you have to follow, follow him into that place where you're willing to be open-handed with even like your name, right? And, and we know this. I mean, we live in an age where like, we're image obsessed. You go online, social media, and, and people post their best life, right? And, and there's been studies about the dopamine hits we get off of likes and comments and all that kind of stuff. Like, there's, like, psychology to this. And, but, we're in this kind of place, but what if we could live more like these random Christians from nowhere in particular and just be, 
be so on fire for Jesus that we didn't care about who got the credit. We, we cared more about what Jesus looked like to the world, not what we looked like, but what Jesus looked like to the world. What if we were open-handed about who got the glory? Then we could really be unified. Then we could really move together. Then we could be Christ-like. And we could be the church that I think God wants to see, right? An open-handed, open-hearted church. So, after the church in Antioch takes off, the church in Jerusalem hears about it. And they get excited. Like, they hear that God is moving among new people in a new place without any of them involved at all. That God is just moving in major ways. And uh, they know they probably needed to send some leadership there. They probably needed to send someone to help, like, guide and direct. So they decide to send Barnabas. And Barnabas is known in Scripture for having the gift of encouragement. Like, he's an encourager, and, and he's a very open-handed, open-hearted person. We hear about him back in Acts 5, uh, selling, um, selling a property, giving it all uh, to the church that was gathered. And so they send him, and they didn't send a leader who was like, you know, like a, like a, a take charge, like general. You know, they didn't send a general there to just take charge of the situation. They sent Barnabas to go and encourage uh, what was going on. Because if they sent a general to go and get a hold of everything that God was trying to do, that would probably have killed the movement there. That would have probably killed it. Instead, they send Barnabas. And what does Barnabas do? Barnabas simply fans the flame of what was going on in the church. It says this in Acts 11. It says, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. I, I love that sentence. Like Barnabas comes and he sees what's going on in Antioch and he processes, processes it all as the grace of God. I mean, here we have like new Christians reaching new Christians and new places and it's not something that we just need to, you know, get, get, get a handle of. It's just God's grace. Like, God wants to save the world. God wants to save people, and he's doing it even without us. And so he saw the grace of God in that situation. And literally, it, it says that he was glad, meaning he rejoiced. He praised God when he saw it. And this is what he does. It says, And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. He didn't tell them anything new. He just told them to keep going. Keep trusting. Keep going. He's just fanning the flame, right? He's just keep going, guys. It wasn't about control or strategy or anything like that. It was encouragement. He just told them to remain. Remain focused on what God has you to do. And because of that, it says a great many people were added to the Lord. It was a great many people. There was a movement that was happening towards God. We don't know exactly how many people, but a lot. We can assume a lot. And so many, in fact, that, Paul, uh, that Barnabas needs help, and that's why he goes to Tarsus, fetches Saul, brings him back, and then that lights uh, Paul up, and we have the rest of the New Testament right there. So, But all that to say, like, having a unified, humble church is a powerful, powerful thing. And it's all about not getting in our own way, right? Not getting in our own way, letting Jesus lead, 
watching what he will do through us. The church in Antioch wasn't distracted by all the current events of the day. And I think it's very easy for us to get distracted by all the current events of the day. Like I talked about, everything's changing. I mean, if we... If you, if you talk politics or the pandemic right now, people are, you know, we're just going to be in for a long conversation, right? <laughs> Everybody's got an opinion. I thought about having an open forum about both those things, but decided against it. Uh, maybe next year when things, things will be so calm next year. It'll be great. Um, but no, they weren't trying to just, like, take down the empire. They weren't, like, focused on civic issues. They were trying to lift up Jesus. They weren't attacking paganism. They were lifting up Jesus. And because of that, pagans came to know Jesus, right? And so they give us this picture of an open-handed church, not about protecting, but just about loving. Like, when, when this famine comes up, their first thought is, let's send help to our brothers, right? It's a beautiful picture. And what's cool is they're so loving and so giving that they actually become annoying to the church around them. Uh, it says this in verse 24, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Fun fact, Christians did not name themselves. Uh, it was a derogatory word used by people around them. There goes those little Christs, you know, those little, like, it, it's basically a word to describe like a boss-employer relationship. Oh yeah, there goes those guys just all about Jesus, you know, walking around town, just doing the things that Jesus did. And so they got that name, Christians, in Antioch. And the name stuck. So that's kind of the story and the, the picture of the church in Antioch. But I want to come back to the main challenge of this message. And it's this. Are you living an open-handed and open-hearted life? Are you living an open-handed and open-hearted life. I was just listening to a song this morning as I was preparing, uh, preparing this message, and the words were, the, the words were um, hands up, heart open, wide as the sky. And it just really struck me as I was preparing this. And then the, the, the line that was repeated over and over again was, let all the other names fade away. I just thought that was powerful. Is like, are we willing to live letting go of every other name, not trying to prop up any other name other than Jesus? Are we open-handed and open-hearted? Because the lesson from the church in Antioch is that God moves. God will move when we're open-handed and open-hearted, when we aren't so concerned about who gets what recognition but we're more concerned about who, sh uh, about sharing the love of Jesus with a world that needs him, with people that need him. And I know that there are a lot of open-handed and open-hearted people here. I know there are a lot of humble people that God has been calling and bringing to Blaine for the last few years, and I believe that God is going to use that for his glory. So I just want to end with Barnabas's encouragement to the church. What was his encouragement? Remain faithful. Remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Keep the mission in front. Don't forget why you're here. Don't forget what God has called you to do. Don't forget 
that you have a mission to accomplish with the years that God has given you. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to divide. But we've got to fight that reflex to keep, to keep the mission front and, uh, and, and Jesus in the front. As the band comes, uh, I just want to share this image today. Um, as I was thinking about this message, I just want you to imagine, if it helps, close your eyes, close your eyes. You don't have to. If you're like, that's weird, don't worry about it. But um, just imagine that you're, you're sitting across a table from Jesus, and on the table is everything in your life that you love. Everything in your life that you love, your money, your home, your family, your career, work time, downtime, drive time, hobbies, future, all of it, all the things that you think about. The question of the open-handed and open-hearted church is just this. Do you trust Jesus with all of that? Everything on the table, your family, your friends, your home, your career. Do you trust Jesus with all of it? Do you trust Jesus enough to open your hands to all of it? Does he have all of it? Or is there anything that you're keeping off the table? Is there anything that if push came to shove, you'd say, no, back off, not there, no thank you? I know over the years for me, there's been a lot of things that I've kept off the table from Jesus. And I know for me, I didn't have peace until I put those things back on the table. I just want to encourage you in the same way. There's the only way that you're going to find peace with God is when you're willing to have everything on that table. When you're willing to live an open-hearted and open-handed life. And I don't know what it is for you. I know, <laughs> I know what it's been for me. And I know it's, it's a life and a... And a uh, we walk a journey of continually letting go. And Jesus, here's the thing about Jesus. He will never force you. He will never force you to put everything on the table. He won't do it. But the thing is, if, if, if we aren't open-handed, we miss out. We miss out on peace. We miss out on purpose. We miss out on relationship. We miss out on God using us for his kingdom. And the hard truth that we have to keep in mind is at some point we lose everything on that table. And everyone does. But the promise of God is this. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. And so my encouragement to you today is that there is no better hands to put your life in than Jesus. That there's no better security that you can experience than knowing that God has his hand on your life. That there's no amount of money that can buy the kind of peace that a relationship with God can give you. And that there's nothing that, that can replace the experience of living a fruitful life in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as, as we uh, come to you today, Lord, I pray that you would help us, God, to let go. Lord, if there's anything that we are withholding from you as we sit across from you, may we look in your eyes and see a God who loves us. God, a God who is good. A God who's not manipulative, God, but wants to, to bless and fill our lives, God, with meaning and purpose and peace and life and love 
and fulfillment. And sometimes it's only when we let go of the things that we worship that we can find true worship in Jesus. That we need to recognize, God, when we are holding on to things too tightly. God, and it's not that you want to take everything from us, God, but you want our hearts open. You want our hands open, God. And so I pray for that this week. I pray for that this month. I pray that for that this year, God, that you would train us and teach us to be a people that are willing to open our hands. God, willing to open our hearts, God, to you and to the world around us, God. Lord, that you would keep us, God, from being distracted or divided, that you would keep us from pride, pride that tries to build our kingdom, not your kingdom. God, pride that makes life about us and not about you. Lord, help us, God. Help us to learn the ways of Jesus, Lord. And I, I just pray that over this, uh, over us today, God, that you would be at work in our lives in every part, Lord, that we could see your hand, God, that like the church in Antioch, that the hand of God would be on us, Lord, we pray, that you would be able to work through us, God, that you would be able, God, to reach others, God, that we'd be able to partner with you for our city and our workplaces and our families, God, that we could be able to lean on you, Lord, and just rest in your control, not our control. So, God, we pray for that today in Jesus' name. Amen.